KVLA Talk 1580. We're getting up and standing up for your rights every single day, and I hope uh, you are standing with us. Do not forget to get the app. Give it to yourself for Christmas. It's free. (laughs) Give it to yourself for Kwanzaa. It is absolutely available wherever you get uh, your apps on the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Uh, Just type in KBLA1580. Download the app on your phone and you can listen to us wherever you go. Plus, our podcasts are available for free wherever you get podcasts. And you may have missed some uh, compelling conversations. I hope that you will tap in and get them on the app. You can also find them um, online wherever you get your podcasts. You can find them on our website, just the last few. Um, And we offer updates and special contests and things on our app. When you download the app, it makes us stronger because we uh, rely on you. Uh, We don't have the uh, giant corporate backing of some um, some other media outlets. We have people power. We have uh, the hood grapevine and we so appreciate you uh, for making things possible for us, for being our KBLA delegation. And that is the way forward um, in, in, in this battle. And it really is a battle to have more media ownership uh, by black folks and uh, media ownership, not just the outlet, but the means of distribution so that our voices can be heard. Because like Dr. Melina Abdullah said, until the lion has his own historian, the hunter will always be the hero. We are the lion's historians telling the other side of the story. And so, so, um, so honored to be so gripping this mic is a privilege and I'm honored that you have allowed me to do so for all these years. Excited to welcome into the space an Emmy and Peabody Award winner, uh, the creator of something called Translash Media, a cross-platform journalism, personal storytelling and narrative project, which produces content to shift the current culture of hostility towards transgender people in the U.S., and as part of her work as tr- at Translash, she hosts the Webby-nominated Translash podcast, as well as uh, the investigative limited series, The Anti-Trans Hate Machine, A Plot Against Equality. Uh, journalist Imara Jones, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us this morning. Appreciate you uh, stopping in. Uh, you are working on so many different levels, I think, uh, something that it seems like we have in common is this ability to be a podcaster, a journalist, a creative, but also an activist in the space. Um, and, you know, and, and unapologetic about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that what I tell people is that I, I produce media and um, because I produce media that tells the truth, people think that it's activism. And I think that's a huge (laughs) commentary on our society. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. But when I read that you chair the UN uh, high-level meeting on gender diversity, I mean, that to me is activism, Uh, producer or no producer, right? Yeah, but I think that even in in that role, um, you know, what we were doing was coming together in the UN, which is, you know, not like you know, a flaming kind of progressive, you know, institution, uh, a very institution, <laughs> you know, and, and, and having a conversation about the reality 
of um, of um, expanded gender in in the world um, because th- it is a fact, it is a reality, it is something that happened um, as long as there's been um, recorded human history and is happening now. And so I think that it was, again, about to reality. And so, um, you know, that's what's interesting to me is that we're having debates about things that increasingly across the world and all cultures um, everywhere are just being accepted as fact. When you say gender expansion, what do you mean by that? Well, I think the gender by its nature is expansive. I think that what's happened is that we had a very narrowly imposed view of gender driven by um, a Western understanding of um, gender as well as um, the tie to gender to race and capitalism it being tied to reproduction and who can reproduce and who's valuable and who's not and how to make them valuable or how to devalue them. And what happened in that process is that, excuse me, the range of gender identities that existed in pre-colonial Africa, the range of gender identities that existed um, in uh, the Americas, the range of gender identities that existed in places like the Philippines. I mean, all these things that are well-documented um, eventually were oppressed and people were penalized and killed and forced into two narrow um, genders that were um, tied to capitalism and this idea of reproduction. And so what we are doing and what's happening is that the natural process of, of gender diversity in human beings is just reasserting itself. Mm, it's interesting you say that. This is going to sound weird, but when I was... Uh... In college, which was a long time ago, I um, had a little personal crisis about, you know, spiritual identity and understanding it. Um, you know, the, it, it was really around feminism, actually. But my godmother um, was uh, Audre Lorde, and I remember calling her. She was in the U.S. Yeah. Virgin Islands and asking her, like, yeah, like, what is the role of women in traditional African spirituality? Like, because I was getting this... I guess I'll call it a Western filtered version of what mm-hmm. seemed to me like mm-hmm. really sexist, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and the question for me personally was, do I have to submit to that if I'm going to really be a spiritual person? Or is this some, you know, kind of colonizer's version of, uh, of African mm-hmm. consciousness? And she pretty much said what you just said, which is that when you go to pre-colonized African societies, um, our ideas about gender and gender roles are very different than what we consider sort of a, what we accept as an Afrocentric viewpoint in the Western context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's absolutely right. And it's not only gender roles were different. I mean, um, African, uh, you know, African women were warriors, right? African women were rulers, right? All of these things that, you know, one of the largest uh, resistance uh, to colonialization um, was in Angola, led by an African queen, right? So I think that, like, even within the context of the idea of two genders, the idea of gender roles and where we're talking about now, pre-colonial Africa, was vastly different than what exists now. Um, Decision-making was totally different, et cetera. But even within that, there was an understanding that there were people 
who were born um, in bodies that we would now call cis, but who were trans. And they, those, those people had space in those societies. There were people who um, were gender nonconforming. There were people who, um, what we would call are gay and lesbian, and they were naturally a part of those societies. And what happened through the process of enslavement was the um, reduction, the erasure of those complexities, those differences, because everyone had to be forced into a role of being what we would call a man and a woman solely for reproduction in order to keep the slavery machine going. And that's not, that's been the, that's been the experience, um, of a great many people who have experienced, um, you know, imperialism and colonization. And we have to recognize that. And for you, that impacted you personally in terms of um, what you were observing uh, was the narrowing of um, who of spiritual leadership. But that was the experience of millions of people in countless ways that we can't imagine. And so we have to expand our imagination. We have to em- embrace what was erased. We have to um, we have to acknowledge what has been forbidden, and that is that um, people of African descent have always acknowledged um, a range of genders, a range of gender identities, have always been um, what we would call in modern terms gender expansive. And honestly, a great many of the African, traditional African religions have that as a part of their, their ethos and understanding. So uh, when we talk about, you know, gender being on a spectrum, right, not just mm-hmm. man and female and, and male and female, not just sort of this uh, mm-hmm. binary model, um, I think a lot of people do think of that as a modern phenomena, something that is mm. uh, part of what some folks will call an agenda or a newfangled way of looking at the world. And it sounds like you're saying <laughs> that is not the truth. I mean, it's fascinating. It's the, as long as we have had recorded history, there are paintings of people that we, or representations, I should say, of people that we would call um, transgender or that we would call, you know, being gay or lesbian. And so um, what is modern is the idea that there are only two genders. That's actually what's modern. Um, that is not something that you see vastly around the world until 500 years ago. And that's exactly at the time of the rise of um, colonization and imperialism, and of course, as we've discussed here, enslavement. So what's new is the thing that we're living in, of course, because as human beings, we don't live lives that are thousands of years old or hundreds of years old. It's easy for us to think that whatever we're living in is the defined reality. How it's always but been, when you right? actually yeah. yeah, sorry. But when but when you take a step back, you see that that's not the case. And I think that what's what's fascinating is that it's it's not new. It's very 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 old. Um and we have to disabuse ourselves of the of the idea that our history that our histories that our, our identities began when our feet touched these shores. Mm. So from the perspective of, you know, just observation it does seem like there are more trans people now within my own lifetime today than when I was a kid. Um, it, mm. You know what I mean? It seems like it. You you mm. you, you certainly uh, see more kids in high school and uh, even middle school um, struggling with their their gender identity. Um, and this has become, of course, mm-hmm. a political flashpoint. Mm-hmm. Why do you? 
what do you attribute that perception to? Right. It is a perception and it's a reality. I don't think that the numbers of trans people have changed throughout history. It's always been, it's always been, you know, not a large number of people. Let's say what's different is that we are living in a society where people have been able to find community in new ways to validate their identities and to live um, as they actually are. That's a huge part of the shift. Um, I think that for me, for example, I grew up in Atlanta in the 1980s. Um, I didn't know any trans person. I was trans. I was trans at that age. No one, I didn't see any representation. I didn't, no one ever talked about it. I didn't know a thing about it. But I knew that my gender was different than what my body was expressing. And I've known that my whole life. So we know that transness um, is independent of these external factors. What is happening is that because of technology, um, people are actually able to find community and to understand that they're not crazy. And to, to give you um, an even broader context, though, for this, you know, one of the things that happened, of course, is um, Stonewall. And with Stonewall, which ironically was led by trans people of color, um, uh, there began to be an LGBTQ rights movement. And of course, you know, um, eventually gays and lesbians, particularly white gays and lesbians, stepped to the forefront after uh, trans people of color, black trans people had started that movement. But a part of that was more space to understand that you could be different in society. And what we're seeing is just the culmination of, of that movement over a lo really long time, combined with changes in technology, which have allowed people to find community and to find expression. And now young people are growing up and seeing that there are other people like them and therefore are stepping forward even, even more. So, I, I mean, I, I, for example, I was trans and there was absolutely another trans person in my class um, when I was in elementary school. Absolutely. But we didn't have language for what we were. And um, we, we were not allowed to be who we were. And we were, you know, our lives were threatened um, um, at an early, you know, at least I remember for me at an early age. So I just think that like, it's different because people have the ability to express themselves in new ways. Talking with Amara Jones, podcaster, a Peabody Award-winning journalist. I'm not going to say activist because uh, <laughs> uh, that is Amara Jones doing what Amara Jones does. Um, and uh, you're welcome to call. And if you got to uh, you got some questions or conversation, 800-920-1580. Continuing the conversation when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. From our heart to your heart. Happy holidays to you and the ones you love from KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. And uh, my guest this hour is uh, Amara Jones. She is a podcaster, a journalist, and uh, the creator of the Trans Lash Media Group, which is a cross-platform uh, journalist, uh, journalism and storytelling uh, narrative project. Webby Award winner. Um, and Mara Jones, you know, you make the point, you say you're just speaking the truth and people call it activism. Um, and I get that, you don't, you know, you talk about everything. You don't just talk about uh, gender identity or, or um, 
you know, your own experiences. You talk about all political topics and hopefully, you know, you'll come back and we'll chop it up about many, many things. Um, but I think, I guess I'm really starting with the focus on your, on your gender identity because I believe that there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding uh, particularly uh-huh. in our community, um, we you know we're progressive, but we're also uh, largely African American. Our KBLA delegation, and I kind of feel like if we had more um, clear answers, and uh, yeah, you know, we would have less hate and less division. Um, you know, we know we hear over and over again that the trans women, especially black trans women, are being murdered for example, and that really, uh-huh. really troubles me. Um, what, do you, what do you make of that? Where, where is that coming from, in your opinion, and, and what's to be done about it? First of all, you and I share, um, you know, we are on the exact same page and the need to talk about that, this and to get clear answers and to allow people to ask their questions without judgment, because if we're able to do that, then we will have um, a less violent, more free, more open society, and of course, community. So thank you for this conversation, and I totally agree with you. Um, I would say that what's fascinating to me about the murders of Black um, trans women is the way in which they actually track with the violence against Black women overall, Mm. right? And this is And this is where it's really important for us to think about that there's just general hatred of anything that is black, a black woman, um, and the way in which our society values that. So what do I mean about the way, how does it track with black women overall, black cis women? So we know that in this country that black women have the highest incidence of intimate partner murders than any other group in this country. Which means that if a black, when a black woman is murdered in America, she is overwhelmingly murdered by someone that she is close to, someone that she knows, overwhelmingly an intimate partner. That is also true for black trans women. Black trans women are murdered by people that know them. They are murdered by their intimate partners. They are murdered by the men who say, oh, you think you're going to leave me? No one's going to want you. No one else is going to have you, and I'm going to kill you. How many stories do we know? about that for black women overall. So what's fascinating to me is that there's this idea of the otherization of black trans women, but when you look at the data, it actually tracks with the murder of black women overall, which is about the hatred of black women. And so that means that there's actually, in the way that we're able to navigate the society, there's an incredible overlap between the experiences of black women and black trans people. Um, more specifically, um, it is people who are in relationships and or family members of black trans women who murder us. Like, wow. that's, that's what happens. Oof. You know, that's who's killing us. That's it is so not, terrible. You know, people are like, yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, it's the, a person who didn't know or it's the panic attack or the person should have disclosed. Overwhelmingly, these cases are, are, are men who are attracted to black trans women who either were rejected by those women, that rejection turns into rage, that rage turns into murders. 
Um, secondly, and or it is people who are in relationship with these black trans women and these black trans women no longer want to have a relationship with them and the men kill them. Wow. So I think that like we have to understand that like the murders of black trans women track the murders of black women overall um, in America. And, um, you know, this is what's happening is that like misogyny is what's killing black trans women. We got Morris on the phone calling us from Inglewood. Morris, you're on with Amara Jones. Welcome. Good morning, Mr. Jones. Listen, Miss Jones. Miss Jones, if you're nasty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Hey, listen, everybody. Can you hear me all yeah, right? Yeah, I hear you. All right. Everybody's paying taxes. So when you pay taxes, you're entitled to protections, rights, and privileges. I got a question for you. Is there a ministry out there, my brother, a sister, that respects you as children of God? Or do all of them demonize you? I'll take your comments off to you. Well, good morning, Dominique. You're all right. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah. Dominique, thank you for um, correcting misgendering. I think it's important for people who are not trans to do that. So I appreciate that. I think that for me, yes, there are many places that um, that do that. So um, they're not, they're, ironically, there are lots of trans people in, in ministry. I, we're going to actually do a podcast episode on this black trans people who are in ministry. So that laid to the side, there are Unitarian churches that welcome trans people um, broadly. There are um, some Methodist churches um, that, uh, UMC, not AMC, but UMC churches that welcome um, um, trans people. There's some Episcopalian churches um, that welcome trans people, especially those that are aligned with the Anglican Church. So I think and the that, Pope um, has got like the, a, a trans like little ministry, right? From what I was reading. Well, he meets with trans. He has had regular dinners and conversations with trans people um, as a part of um, of his signaling that he believes that trans people are, are children of God. And he he's expressed that in various ways. So there's that. And, and also, like, to be honest, that was also a Christian framework. So children of God is a Christian framework. Outside of Christianity, there are a great, there are a lot of um, indigenous religions across the world, um, uh, who uh, native in nature, also African-based in nature, um, that recognize trans people. So I think within a Christian context, there is recognition. Um, and then outside of a Christian context, there's a lot of recognition. Talking with Amara Jones, we'll continue the conversation. When we come forward, you're welcome in. It's KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. At KBLA Talk 1580, we do more than just talk. You got a big mouth. Hello, Joe, you're up. Welcome. We're unapologetically progressive, and we don't black down. We don't, and uh, we're talking this morning with Amara Jones, a Peabody and Emmy Award-winning journalist and podcaster, also serves on the boards of the Transgender Law Center, Anti-Violence Project, LGBTQ Plus Museum, New Price Agenda, and was appointed uh, by Mayor Bill de Blasio to serve on the New York City Commission on Gender equity uh you you know before news traffic and sports uh we you mentioned misgendering um morris inadvertently uh put a pronoun on you which is not one that you use um and the whole conversation around pronouns apparently is a hot topic it's a controversy why are pronouns so important why is it important i even have a friend you know a dear friend who i'd consider a progressive who just struggles with 
calling people the pronouns that they desire. Why is that important? It's, it's, a, it's important because it's a fundamental basis of identity and respect. Um, as someone said, it was really funny. There's a meme that goes around, which is like, if people don't think is a, that pronouns are important, just um, misgender a cis person and see what happens. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. if I if I were you know if I were to suddenly you know said to the caller who identifies as um, he him if I suddenly said she hers they'd probably find that deeply offensive. It's because it goes against the very sense of who they are as a person and how they move through the world. It's no difference for trans people. It's just that people believe that they have the right to tell us what our gender is versus respecting <laughs> other people. And what we should do is respect everybody's gender identity, right? Because regardless of how a person presents, you know, unless you have x-ray vision, you don't know what their bodies are like. You don't know what the composition is below what you can see. So we should just respect everyone's pronouns. Another thing that you you mentioned in passing uh, earlier in the conversation was this idea of non-gender conforming, which is different than being trans or necessarily, you know, I think people mix up gender with sexual orientation because the conversations yeah, the sometimes go hand in hand, but it's not the same thing. Um, and, and so what do you mean when you say gender non-conforming? So um, there's a, 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 a lot to unpack there. So first of all, trans the trans umbrella in its most expansive includes people who are a part of what we call um, the trans binary. Um, and the trans binary are people who move from being, um, you know, male to female or female to male, right? So that's people who are in the trans binary. But a great many people who are trans are not in the trans binary. That is to say that they don't have a binary view of gender. And trans, because the word means transgender means to move across. The word cis means to stay, right? So when we say cisgender, it means stays gender, right? Transgender means moving across gender. That root word includes people who are in the trans binary, includes people who are gender nonconforming, includes people who are non-binary, right? But in our shorthand, our everyday understanding of people, when we say trans, most people think of people who move from one gender or another and exclude the others. And so we end up articulating, oh, non-binary or these others. So I just wanted to give kind of that context. But because gender is, um, an, is, gender is a spectrum, it's expansive, there are lots of different genders, there are people who in their composition do not feel like they fit into one category or another. And so they will identify as either being non-binary or not conforming to gender. And gender non-conforming is a slight variation on this, meaning that um, uh, um, you may have some alignment with your gender, but not complete alignment. So you're not really conforming with your gender in terms of present, a lot of times in terms of presentation, non-binary um, is, um, is uh, kind of a larger expanse on that one nuance. So the point here is that there's lots of different um, ways to express our, our gender, and we have to be open to all of them, and we need to be involved in an active conversation with people about their pronouns and how they refer to themselves, because we want to honor the dignity of each and every um, human being. And you're right, it gets conflated all the time in terms of um, uh, sexuality and gender identity, and I think that, you know, 
um, sexuality is about who you have sex with, right? Um, if you're heterosexual, you have sex with the opposite sex. If you're homosexual, you have sex with people who have, um, who are, uh, who have your same body and same body type and same gender identity. The same is true for, um, the same is true for, uh, people who are bi. They have sex with, you know, everybody. Gender identity is about how, how you identify in the world. It's not about, it has nothing to do with who you have sex with. It is literally about what your gender identity is within the spectrum that we have of, of male and, uh, of man and woman, which is different than male and female. So that's a lot, but it, these concepts are a lot and they are pushing us to, um, expand our thinking. And I think ultimately to be, to be better. It really feels like a generation gap I, here. I feel like Generation Z, for them, it doesn't seem very hard to understand at all. But for the X's no. and the boomers, <laughs> even some millennials, it's a little bit more of a stretch. When you say there are a lot of different genders, I mean, do they have names? Like, wh- how, are we, how are we identifying these many genders? So I think that in general, the way that we can think of is that there is um, cis, there is trans, which may mean trans-binary or the, or the more expansive term of trans. It can be, you can also be gender non-conforming. You can also be um, uh, um, non-binary. I think that those... All those, of those are genders in themselves. That's right. Got that's it. That's right. Or, and gender identities. And so those are really, those are, that's like kind of expansive. And within those, we broadly have pronouns, right? Um, he... Uh, he, him, his, of course, she, her, hers, um, uh, they and them. But there are also some people who refuse to use those and they go by certain things like they. I mean, that's not common, but, you know, it does exist. And so that's why, like, it's just important to um, ask people um, what their gender identity is. And if you get it wrong, because honestly, even people who are trans sometimes end up um, mistaking genders, then when the person says this, you know, I'm actually, um, this is my actual pronoun, then we, we correct. And I think that the, a lot of times what we want to do with pronouns is we want to believe that we have the ability to look at the world and order people in the way that we want to. And I think that that's a part of the resistance a lot of times of people not using the right pronouns or subconsciously not doing that because they were brought up in a world where they got to look at the world and impose their vision of of the world on other people. And what pronouns actually make us do is to individualize um, the world. We have to look at people as people and to respect them as people. And it's easier for people who are younger because they are like, I mean, gen, generation alpha, which is even younger than Gen Z and some Gen mm-hmm, Z because mm-hmm. they, because, because they grew up like my, my cousins uh, grew up with trans people. Right. right. So it's not, it's not, it's, 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 it's really easy for them. And honestly, it's even easier for younger children. And this is a whole separate conversation about when people learn that they are a certain gender, you know, younger kids, like, I, I mean, I already remember this. There are times when you are a kid where you don't actually experience gender, you're just experiencing the world. And so they can be more open to understanding that gender is something that you grow into. I think that probably everyone has a story in their life where they said, oh my God, I realized this is when the world saw me as a certain gender. And I either corresponded to that or I didn't. But that means that gender is something that you're acculturated to, not something that you immediately understand from birth. 
Not that she's a role model uh, for anything, but uh, Candace Owens uh, famously makes the argument that if she identifies as a cat, that doesn't make her a cat. Um, and sh she does not recognize trans women as women. I know that's true for J.K. Rowling, the lady who wrote uh, the Harry Potter books, um, that that kind of mindset um, is, is, is mm -hmm. labeled TERF, uh, right? Uh, they can mm -hmm. be feminist women who don't believe or mm -hmm. don't recognize trans women as women. Where does that come from, you think? And, and, and how, do you, how do you receive that? Oh my gosh, you, uh, you know, like every one of your questions could be a program. I know, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's, it's a sign of a, a person who um, has a lot of depth. Um, I think that, um, so here's the thing, right? What, what is a TERP? It's a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. It is a person, as you say, who says that they are a feminist, believing that women have, um, should have equal rights, um, and the ability to control uh, uh, our lives um, equal to that of of men, right? And a certain one of the a certain segment of those, I would say it's pretty small in the United States actually, um, who say that they don't recognize trans women as women. Um, now the good news is that there are plenty of feminists who are Gloria Steinem, for example, um, recognizes trans women as women and says so flatly and without hesitation. Um, and there are, you know, lots of other examples like that. Um, um, fortunately, you know, political leaders of all backgrounds. Um, so th that's a really important thing. Um, but I think that um, where does it come from? Well, first of all, about Candace Owens, Candace Owens doesn't recognize a great many things. Yeah, <laughs> so, like I don't that. know, but I would like just because you don't, don't you, that, right? You identify as you white know, like, doesn't mean you're anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Candace Owens struggles with recognizing a great many things, but that point aside, um, I think it. I think that it comes from this idea. A friend of mine who is a professor believes that it comes from the idea that womanhood is based upon lifelong suffering. Mm, and that interesting and that yeah my uh, yeah and uh, she's a, a black woman feminist scholar and it's like i think that it comes from suffering um and um and that idea that if you haven't experienced um gender-based violence that you can't really claim womanhood now that in and of itself is extremely problematic and troubling it reduces womanhood to suffering it mean, it means that the only way that you can ever be defined is through the negative and through pain. It also assumes that trans women um, have not um, suffered from gender-based violence our entire lives. It assumes that we don't have um, a great many common experiences. So I think that that's one thing. And also related to that suffering is the idea of suffering that is related to periods in childbirth. Right. And we know... And we also know that that's a misnomer because not every woman who is cis, who was born a cis woman um, and is marked on birth, not everyone who is a cis woman um, has a uterus, can, give, um, uh, uh, can, can have kids, you know, has a period. Like all of those things that we would say when we try to reduce womanhood to the body of what we say as a woman that definition excludes a great many women. I mean, are we saying, for example, that like 
older women who are in menopause are no longer are no longer women. And then you get into this thing, well, once upon a time in their lives they could, so that makes them like we get into we get into this twisted kind of circle. Whereas we have to recognize the way in which our society associates a set of uh, behaviors and a set of experiences and outlooks. And that's one of the ways that fundamental ways that we create gender. Um, and we have to understand that um, uh, we have to understand that trans women ha- experience gender-based violence as well, you know, experience many of these common things. And so I think it comes from a, a reductionist view of womanhood that when you apply it, doesn't even apply to most cis women. It's actually a mis a misunderstanding. Mm. We're talking with Amara Jones, continuing the conversation when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More first things first with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. The conversation continues right now, right now, right now with now, Dominique now. DePrima on First Things First. We're talking with journalist and podcaster Amara Jones. And uh, so many questions, so little time. Perhaps she'll join us another day again. Um, we're talking about this idea of TERFs or people, uh, particularly women that don't accept trans women as women. Um, and I've seen a lot of conversation about this on Instagram to black women who are not uh, political figures, just everyday black women who feel somehow threatened. Um, and I, I really don't have an understanding of it, but who feel threatened uh, by trans women being um, accepted as women. Um, Uh is there, I mean, is that, that's really what it is that would be your ideal? You mean, yeah. I mean, because I mean, trans women are women. I mean, like I can assure you that if we, if, if you and I talked about what our days are like, how people interact with us, whether or not people listen to us or not, like a whole host of Mm -hmm. other things, we won't, we won't have a lot of distance. We'll have very little distance in terms of like what our experience is, right? So I think that that's, that's just a reality that like trans women are women and trans men are men in terms of how they experience the world and how the world like treats us, um, especially as black people. You know, on some level, let me express some, some sympathy with these black women. I mean, we have a history of black womanhood being questioned. Yeah, we have a we have we have a history of black womanhood being very precarious in this country. Um, black women did not achieve full um, status um, in this country until 1965. Um, that's when black women became full citizens of the United States. Um, black men legally, at least, became full citizens. Um, you know, essentially a hundred years before. So I think that like, we have to understand the notion of the precarity of, of black womanhood. We have to understand that black women did not fully uh, control our bodies until the 1980s. So I think that like, I, 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 I and, and a part of the attack, the racist attack on black womanhood is the idea that black women really weren't women, that black women are in many ways in the history of enslavement and through racial stereotypes are, 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 rep- are, are often represented as a point of denigration as being masculinized. And because black women, according to these stereotypes, are masculinized, don't feel pain, other things, 
then are not essentially women. And so black women are always fighting for the idea that they have space and equal rights as women. So I have a tremendous amount of um, sympathy for people who are afraid that trans women are, are a threat to black womanhood, because in the way that racial stereotypes have been used in this country, that's, that's understandable. It is not, it's not a far-fetched notion. I think what I would say to those women is that what you are doing by um, dis- by attacking and undermining Black trans women is that you are actually turning yourself into a tool of the racist enterprise. You yourself are practicing white supremacy because you are basing your idea of what womanhood can be, one, on white supremacist notions that are that we talked about at the top of the program, and two, you are assuming the idea that trans women are essentially masculine, masculinized women and that any association with that for you would, would undermine or threaten your womanhood. And that in and of itself is also practicing white supremacy. And so I think that what we have to do is we have to drop these notions that we've been so acculturated with about who matters, who counts, what our identity is, and get to um, a much more firmer, open, historically relevant for us uh, as Black people notions of our gender. That when you are attacking Black trans women as Black cis women, you are, you are practicing white supremacy. Hmm. Um, are we making progress, Amara Jones, as a society? Yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, that's what's so fascinating about this moment, right? Is that, I mean, that's why I call translash translash. The, 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 the brand is actually transgender backlash because on the one hand, you know, there's so many prog- so much progress, right? There's, um, you know, of course, people that we would think of, Laverne Cox, not only Laverne Cox, there are, you know, black trans people who are environmental activists like uh, Precious Brady Davis in, in Chicago. There are black trans musicians like Honey Dijon. Like there are lots of amazing people in our community who are doing amazing things, who have life chances that they never had before. And at the same time, we are facing a coordinated cultural campaign to turn black, um, black cis communities against trans people. And those same people are also behind the legislative backlash um, that we are experiencing and behind the co-opting of the Republican Party. And so the funny thing about all the many of the forces that are driving the anti-trans backlash is the degree to which um, they are also driving the undermining of voting rights for black people. Um, the, the, they are trying to split black communities by saying there's some people who are historically black and some people who immigrated here when historically we're all the same people. Um, if you were in Jamaica and you immigrated to the United States, you ended up in Jamaica for the exact same reason you and I are in the United States, right? Um, so I think that like all of those forces um, are working together, and that's why it's a it's a confusing moment because there's progress and there is a tremendous whirlwind that's trying to to destroy it and to use the idea of trans people to undermine who we are. Oh uh, well, it's it's. I know we can find you at translash.org, translash.org. Any other um, contact info you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think that my, my handles are my name, you know, Amara, you know, Amara Jones, um, uh, my name. Uh, it's very easy to find me on, on Twitter, on all of the social medias, um, as we say. So that's also a really easy way 
um, as well as my own personal website, which is my name, in addition to the Translash, um, the Translash website. And, you know, we've had such a full hour, we didn't even get to include, like, the role of intersex people in this conversation, which also throws, you know, a totally different idea of what our bodies are doing and if mm. our bodies are indeed binary as well, because intersex bodies are not binary. Um, so even when people try to make biological arguments, about there being only two, we know that the variety of intersex bodies in our society say that that even isn't true. So this is an entire process of unlearning so that we can get to a new place. We'll have to do a part two. I'm out of time.